With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The moment of truth, okay? The Sopranos prequel, Many Saints of Newark. We'll get into it in just a second. But of course, this is a football podcast, so don't worry. We are going to talk football today on the GM Shuffle. Multiple quarterbacks dealing with injuries out for the week. The latest on Tua Tungavailoa. Lots of 2-0 and teams and 0-2 teams will break down who is fool's gold, who could actually finish the season strong. But Mike, I mean, for diehards like you and me, Sopranos, nerds to the core. The fact that I got to be at the Beacon Theater in New York City last night to watch The Many Saints of Newark, an incredible experience. And I think the biggest takeaway was how cool it was to watch it in a theater. Everybody, by the way, proof of vaccination card, everyone wearing their masks. But everybody that got the jokes, got the references. Listen, I think it's an excellent gangster film. And for guys like you and me, and if you're a Sopranos fan, you're going to love it because of the nostalgia and all the callbacks to the show. Normally, I'm the host. You're the expert. We're going to reverse roles now. You're going to ask me questions, right? That's right. I mean, I want to flip this thing because I, I don't want to get into the plot. I don't want to get into the, the... I mean, I want to get into a little bit of the story. But to me... Like when you sent me that text, because I was dying to know about how it was, the first question that came to my mind, the first question is, is Uncle Junior as funny in this as he was in the series? He actually is not. He, he is definitely- I care about that. Yeah. AD, I care passionately that Uncle Junior has to be as funny. He, <laughs> he just didn't develop that humor in his 70s. Like he has to be, it had to be created somewhere. So tell me it was, please. No, uh, listen, it's not as funny as Dominic Cianese, our guy who was incredible as Uncle Junior, obviously in the show. But Corey Stoll is the guy who plays the actor, who is the actor who plays Uncle Junior and does a good job. He's, you know, he's got the glasses, got the mannerisms. Uh, he's not nearly as funny with the one-liners, but he has one joke, which I will knock you away, which you will get right away, which the entire crowd started roaring at. So he's got, he still has a couple of great one-liners, but not quite as great as our boy Dominic Cianese. And do, do the characters, so Livia, uh, Vera, the woman who was in, uh, what's that, what, what is that great movie with, uh, 
with uh, George Clooney when they were f- oh up in the air, up in the air, right? She was with him and up in the air, right? I, I thought she was great in that. But anyway, do we get a sense that Livia was always trying to run the family, even when Johnny was running the family or was associate in the family? Do you get that sense in the in this? Yes, I thought one of the best performances in the entire ensemble was Vera Farmiga, who clearly had watched the show, had picked up Nancy Marchand's mannerisms. But more than that, like there's obviously a style of physical acting you can do, but just her manner, which as we all know, David Chase, the creator said, he based on his mother, just the manipulation, you know, poor me, the whole woe is me routine, but that cunning sense of, uh, of brilliance beneath that exterior Absolutely. She's got a couple of really good scenes with Johnny Boy, uh, who's played by John Brenthal, of course, Tony's dad, and then some really good scenes with uh, Tony himself. So yes, in answer to that, we definitely get a sense of what made Livia Livia. All right. Do we know what made Janice the most annoying, narcissistic (laughs) human being on the planet? I mean, do we find out why? No. Small role for Janice. Uh, You know, she's just a cute little girl in the movie. Uh, We we don't really get a whole lot out of her. She could never have been a cute little girl. AD, you're being too polite. There's no way she was a cute little girl. Uncle Junior has too much disdain for her, for her to be a cute little girl. There's no way. Like, he annoyed Uncle Junior. She annoyed Uncle Junior from her birth. I mean, you know, Uncle Junior probably wanted to have a niece. I mean, we all like to have a friendly niece. Uh, that's a whole other story. That's I'm, I'm in therapy for that. But anyway, you know, the, uh, that's a whole other thing. I, I mean, there's no way she could have been a cute little girl. No chance. Yeah, she's, it's, you're right. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch. But it's funny how, you know, David Chase, I listened to him on a podcast with Mark Maron, actually. And they said, like, who was the character that you guys most love writing for? And he goes, listen, I, I mean, Jim is the answer. Obviously, James Gandolfini is Tony. He said, but I was always very partial to Christopher. He said, I just loved Chris. But he said, the writers all love writing to Uncle Junior. So to your point, like imagine if you and I, I thought this the other day, imagine if you and I could have been in the writer's room. Like if you and I were there, we would have just been giving one-liners for Uncle Junior, right? You would have been telling stories, being Italian, right? Backroom family. But Uncle Junior would be the, the best guy to write for. Oh, he would have been the best. I mean, because everyone in my family was like Uncle Junior. They had the 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 the, the kind of the, the the humor that you had to understand like I got an uncle Fred who we who we who we wrote who's still alive uh he's 94 I mean you know but they were all like junior you know they weren't mobsters but they had the kind of the same mannerisms the same idiosyncrasies so do we get an appearance do we see Richie April in this uh, no, Richie Aprile. No, I, he may be. And now I got to think about maybe a background character at one point. But no, he doesn't get like a speaking role or anything. Can we of get substance. Jackie again. Fleeting glimpse, but nothing major of Jackie. No. So they really don't center on. Remember when Ralphie tells when Ralphie tells the story to Jackie Jr. about how Tony and J- and his dad robbed the car game and they had to be respected. So that that's not the plot. It's going to go down. Correct. Yeah, this is very much focusing on Dickie Moltisanti, who was Christopher's dad, and then that relationship with Tony. Uh, we do get brief, <laughs> I don't want to give it away, but there's a brief glimpse of Sylvia, which again, you're going to lose it, which was great. And, and by the way, I'm burying the lead here. My wife and I got tickets to the after party after the movie. Oh. So the movie itself was an incredible experience. We then get on the shuttle bus and we get there. And I'm sure you've been to events like this all your years in the NFL. You think there's going to be celebrities there and nobody shows up. So we walk in, having a little bit of penne. Oh, they got some New York cheesecake, finger food. Okay, great. I'm thinking we'll get a little bit of food. Maybe we'll see a couple of minor characters. And then we look up and we see Steve Buscemi. And 
My wife, I mean, she can't control herself. She just kind of gives that open mouth look. And so Bashemi is graceful. He's walking with his significant other, kind of just like, hey, how you doing? And I go, oh my God, Steve, I, I, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Like, I'm, I'm stammering. And I go, oh, Pine Barrens, you know, one of the great episodes. I loved you in Fargo. He's like, oh, thanks, thanks, man. And I said, can you get a picture? And he's like, actually, you know what? I'm not doing any pictures. Like, okay, no problem, problem. I, I probably realized in that moment I shouldn't have asked him for a picture. Like, you know, act like you've been there before, like Barry Sanders scoring a touchdown. But anyways, Bashemi's there. But this is the moment I thought of you, and I wish I had a better story for you. I look over and I see David Chase. I'm like, oh my God, the creator of The Sopranos. What am I going to say? And, I, and he's in conversation, so I don't want to be rude. I don't want to interrupt. I'm like, well, wait for a second. And I turn to my left and I immediately thought of you. I go, oh my God, it's Stevie Van Zandt. Oh. <laughs> I said to my wife, I go, Mike would lose his shit right now. Stevie Van Zandt is right here with his wife, Maureen, and they're about to talk to David Chase. You talk about being a fly on the wall. Ethan Hawke was there. By the way, who's not in the movie. I guess he's the biggest Sopranos fan. Bobby Cannavale was there. Uh, I did talk to Michael Gandolfini, James's son, who is terrific in the movie, by the way. Looks just like his old man. Clearly watched the show, got his mannerisms down, and he was awesome. I talked to him, maybe literally just a minute. I'm like, hey, man, you know what your dad did, his legacy, this show means so much to me my wife, my friends, I'm like, and it's amazing. And I'm sure your dad's proud of you. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks so much. He said, it was, it was a lot to take on, but I'm really proud with how it turned out. So he was really, really sweet. Uh, John Bernthal, who plays Johnny Boy, which is uh, Tony's dad, met him briefly. Again, I had to use my wife as a cover because I said, to him, my wife's too shy to say hello to you, but she loves you in The Walking Dead. So then he shook her <laughs> hands and all. Thank you so much, sweetheart. I appreciate it. But honestly, man, I... I, I wish I could have gotten to Stevie Van Zandt. I thought of you. I go, oh my God, if Mike was here, the amount of questions he'd ask him about Bruce, this would be perfect. And then today's Bruce's birthday. We honor Bruce today. This should be, a, I mean, literally the state of New Jersey should close. This should be a state <laughs> holiday in New Jersey, September 23rd. I mean, it should be. I mean, I, I don't understand how the fuck that is. I mean, I get we shouldn't put, like we shouldn't put his name on on the 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 exits, you know the 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 John Bon Jovi, the the, the all that Vince Lombardi, all that. But Bruce, who created, I mean, the legacy of the state. I mean, the the popularity of the state. I mean, we should have a state holiday. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, anyway, that, I I would have been. I saw Stevie when I went to go see Bruce in uh, when I went to go see Bruce for Millie's birthday, which. Uh, we we went to Europe for 17 days. We did all the villas and all that, and and we were staying in we were staying in Impregnetta, which is a little town south of Florence. And we had a villa, and so we're kind of walking around Florence. And I see Stevie in the because Bruce is playing in Florence, and I see Stevie in the in the in the Duomo there. And I tried to get over to him, and he and he escaped me. And Millie's like, "Where are you going?" And I just took off. Like I got to find him, you know. And I I couldn't get quite to him. <laughs> Fuck! I mean, it's so bad. It's so bad. You know, Millie has this incredible. So when we went to go see Bruce on Broadway, I'm four rows back, and you know, and and I'm you know, it's an emotional thing for me to see Bruce. It's truly emotional. It's a uh, it's like I'm reliving my childhood. It's like I'm reliving my dreams. It's like I, I have this vision and he's telling stories that motivated me. And so it's kind of therapeutic for me. So when he comes on stage, I go, you know, I do the typical Bruce, you know, and of course, Millie has this impersonation down. Anytime we talk about it, she goes right into Bruce. You know, she imitates <laughs> me. She thinks it's funny. So anyway, but all right, let's go back one more, a couple more things here. So we don't get we don't get any of uh, so the story is on Dickie. Now yes. do we do we we know the ending of Dickie because of when Tony tells him I think it's in the beginning of season 6 he hands him a piece of paper of who killed his father. Right. Do we get the, is that story followed through here? Correct. And there was a gasp in the audience. It was not going the way we thought it would. And then Noah Chase, did he leave us with something that we could want more of later. 
A thousand percent. When the movie ended, I turned to my wife and I said, I can't wait for the next one. Like, is this thing in production yet? Like, give us a year, give us two years, let's go. It is absolutely open-ended and there are so many more stories to tell. Because again, this is just one story. It's it's the story of Dickie Moltisanti, how he came to be. As you mentioned, the race riots, I mean, which I didn't know anything about. I mean, in Newark in 1967, right. the tensions right between blacks and Italians. So like, there's obviously some good historical stuff in there, which I did not even realize. Leslie Odom Jr., by the way, is great. He was in Hamilton. He was in One Night Miami playing Sam Cooke. He's really in the movie. But yes, the, I, 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 that movie ended and I said to myself, we could see at least five or six more movies right, right now. Like, just go ahead and start rewriting yeah. it, knowing David Chase, which is an amazing thought to have. Well, that's awesome. Well, look, I don't want to spoil it. This is a football pod. We'll go back to football, but thank you for indulging me, AD. Well, of course, Mike. And Friday, October 1st, it's in theaters and exclusively on HBO Max. Michael Lombardi is going to watch it at 12.01 a.m. Friday morning. I expect us to have a phone conversation later that day. And of course, we'll give our recap here on The Shuffle once people have actually seen the movie. Uh, Let's get into some football right now. As we look at ahead to week three right now. First off, let's go with Tua, Mike. Uh, As brittle as it gets, right? I mean, rib injury, he's out. At this point, it's almost a predictable script. Tua Tungvaloa is not going to be a healthy NFL quarterback in his career, period. I mean, you know, I I know I got reprimanded by the great Boomer Esiason for for critiquing his injury history, uh, but that's just what is the reality. I mean, it's not being, and I'm not trying to be a, a jerk here, but, you know, you have to be honest. I mean, people take this so personally. Like, and that's why I make fun of it. You're not allowed to say a bad word about Tua. Like, like I, I, I just don't, I just never could understand how Tua, somebody sent me a tweet the other day where Mike Francesca said on his show, when he was doing his show, that Tua was better than Steve Young. Book it. Like, book it. He's better than Steve Young. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Better than Steve? Like, seriously, what, what are you watching? Steve Young in college was one look and run, but he was really fast. Steve Young could run a 4-4. Steve Young was hard to tackle. Steve Young had not Kyler Murray's speed, but he had Kyler Murray quickness, and he had Kyler Murray's not vertical speed to the degree that Kyler has it, but it was close, okay? And he was probably a little bit more powerful. But Tua's not fast. He's really not. His arm is very average. And his size is minimal, and he's always going to be hurt. And I think this is what really is the most fascinating thing about this game. So the the Miami Dolphins, one and one, they have not played good all year. They beat New England, and give them credit for beating New England. They take the opening drive of that game. They go right down the field. They score. They win the middle eight. They kick a field goal at the end of the half. They score a touchdown to start the half, and their 17 points were really game plan drive and middle eights. Great job. Brian Flores, they deserve, they won the game. New England turned the ball over, lost the game, but they put a win in a win column. Last week, they were horrible. Last week, their offensive line didn't protect very well. Tua was, they had free runners. They attacked the protections. Buffalo did a great job of attacking the protections with a free runner. And that free runner ended up hitting Tua and really hit the hell out of him. I mean, and just basically buried his helmet into his, into his ribs. And to me, it looked like broken ribs just by the hit. But my point here is this. So Miami's one and one. They've scored 17 points in two games. They're not explosive on offense when Tua was in there. When Brissett came in there, they looked different. They looked like they, you had to defend other blades of grass on the field. The width of the field became better and the length. Now, Brissett probably didn't have enough. But what I think is fascinating, and these guys in Vegas who set numbers, Atlantic City and Vegas, they didn't move this number. They set it against the Raiders. The Raiders are a four-point favorite going into this game. Four-point favorite. 
the line the line opened at four and a half, and now at circa it's down to four. Westgate has it at four and a half, but it hasn't moved. It hasn't moved. And here's what's fascinating. Here's what's really fascinating about this game. Of the 11,000 tickets that have been written up for this game as of Bruce Springsteen's birthday at, at what, 1053, okay? Of the 11,000 tickets, 424 tickets that have been written up, 81% of those tickets are on the Raiders, okay? 50-50 on the money. 50-50 on the money. Now, you would think this is an easy game. Backup quarterback, Raiders 2-0. Derek Carr clearly could be in the MVP conversation. Really, I mean, Derek Carr made throws against Pittsburgh that were just lights out. Lights out throws. Great throws. You know, and he got hit a couple times. The line didn't protect very well. But besides that, I think to me, this tells you all you need to know. If you're Chris Greer and the line didn't move, when you went from Tua to Brissett, that's an independent thought outside your building that tells you you don't have your starter. It's not being personal. It's not being critical. It's just fact. If you're a Miami Dolphin fan and this line didn't move, because we'll see it all the time. I mean, the, the Tennessee line with Indianapolis is Indianapolis hasn't announced the starting quarterback. That line opened up at six. It's five and a half now. It's gone down a little bit because there's some talk that Wentz is going to play. But we don't know, right? We don't know. And But when that line does, when a quarterback can't move a line, and Vinny Maiula, who, who runs the book at the sports book, Thomas Gable, who runs it at the Borgata, they'll tell you Aaron Rodgers moves the line significantly. They'll tell you, you know, Mahomes moves the line significantly. And when your quarterback doesn't move the line, do you have a blue chip quarterback? I think that is, as we know, a rhetorical question because the answer is no. In this case, you don't. The quarterback should be the one changing things. And uh, it's fascinating to see what's going to happen with Miami moving forward because they know they don't know the answer. And Steven Ross, their owner, wants to get Deshaun Watson, but Deshaun Watson may not play this year. So it's, it's a lot messier than it looks right now in South Florida. Here's one trend, which I don't know what to make of this one, Mike. Last year, for the first time in history, this is from Michael Smith of Pro Football Talk, home teams had a losing record, 127, 128, and 1. Okay, fine. There was no fans, right? COVID restrictions, totally get it. But this year, 32 games, and it's 16 and 16. I'm inclined to think it's just coincidence. Like, I think home field is so important in football. Like, I think it has to be. Uh, crowd noise, we already saw how it's impacting some teams. I'm thinking this is an anomaly. But how about you? I, I think eventually it'll go back to home teams win 60% of the time. But the fact it's 50-50, that does raise an eyebrow, doesn't it? Well, it does. But here, here's what I learned early in my career. And I learned this from driving Coach Walsh around. You know, Coach Walsh, is one loss record, was better on the road than it was at home. Think about that, A.D. His one loss record was better on the road than it was at home. And he used to say to me all the time, you know, everybody thinks defense controls the game on the road. And, and he would say to me, that's not true. This is back in the 80s when football was tailored to defense, when you could attack people over the middle, when you could decapitate the receivers, when you could do, you could hit the quarterback on two steps, not just one and a half. I mean, it was a different game. He used to say, when you're a good offense and you put points on the road, you can quiet the crowd. You can take away the advantage that they have. And that's why he was so effective because 
the offense scored. And when I was in Oakland, when we were good on offense with Rich Gannon, we were good on the road because we could go score points. We could go score points. We could quiet the crowd. We could get first downs. Our execution was so good that the crowd kind of stayed quiet. And so for me, you know, I, I don't see this. I see this as, as something that's going to happen all the time. I think because as we've improved quarterbacking in the National Football League, as we've improved offensive ingenuity in the, in the National Football League, that you can go on the road and win. And when you're a good offense, when you have a really good offense, you are really able to win games on the road. So it doesn't surprise me at all. And that's why it shouldn't be that surprising at all. We'll see if it goes back and forth. What is interesting, though, is 2-0 and versus 0-2. Now, maybe it's different with one extra game added. But if you go back in the numbers, going back to like 1990, teams that start 0-2, they make the playoffs only 15% of the time. And similarly, 2-0 and teams obviously are a little more in the driver's seat. Although it's not as safe to say because you're 2-0, you're making the playoffs. Point is this. I'm going to give you a handful of teams right now that are 2-0. and And we'll say who's for real or who isn't. The Raiders at 2-0, yeah, that's a surprise. Broncos are 2-0. That's a surprise, although we both said they're a good team as long as their quarterback gets sorted out. Bucks, not a surprise. Panthers, uh, I think some would be surprised. You wouldn't be, Mike. You've said all along they're good. 49ers if healthy, yeah, they're good. Rams are 2-0. Cardinals are 2-0. So when you look at all these teams right now, Raiders, Broncos, Bucks, Panthers, Niners, Rams, Cardinals, for me... I don't know how confident I am in like the Broncos being a great team. I don't know if the Raiders and Gruden's team can keep it up and maybe even the Cardinals because it's such a tough division. But of those teams, which one are you most confident in? Which one are you least confident in? Well, I'm, I'm confident in the Rams. I think they're really good. Again, they go on the road, they win because they can control offense. I think the Cardinals showed some liability last week. They, the, the Cardinals should be one and one. The Raiders should be one and one. I mean, their Raiders were very fortunate that they were able to come back and tie that game and win that game in overtime. You know, I think that that, that Baltimore turned the ball over. Uh, the Raiders won, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything, but it was a fortunate win. The Broncos, I think they're 2-0 for schedule. I mean, you, you open up, you, be, you beat the Giants on the road, you beat Jacksonville, two of the worst teams in the league. I mean, take nothing away from it. You won the games. I mean, the Broncos did not play well against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They, they were, had they played a better team that day, they would have gotten beaten. They were not good. Their offense wasn't crisp. They had too many negative plays. There were too many second and 15s, but Jacksonville's inept. I thought the 49ers looked really good. I mean, the 49ers took it to the Eagles. They were able to withstand the first quarter. I don't think they got a first down in the first quarter, and they made some great throws. They played good defense. They contained Jalen Hurts in the, po- in, in the passing game. I mean, Jalen Hurts only had 12 completions in that game. So, you know, to me, the Panthers, they've dominated both teams they've played. Now, you can say the Saints were wounded, true. They didn't have coaches. They didn't have a lot of their players. And, you know, the opening game against the Jets, you know, the Jets are terrible. So, but I think the Panthers are real in the sense their defensive front's really good. And they can pressure the passer. They can create some real problems. And then we go conversely to the 0-2 teams. The Jets, not surprised. They're terrible. Jaguars were expected to be bad. They're 0-2. The Giants 0-2. Yep, again. And then the Falcons at 0-2. Again, not much was expected. The two teams that stand out, Mike, that are 0-2, the Vikings, who I said would make the playoffs, and the Colts, who we both said would make the playoffs. As you said on last week, excuse me, the previous GM shuffle, you've watched the Colts quite closely. You've fallen out of favor now with Carson Wentz. Should we be concerned the Colts are 0-2? Well, I, I mean, this is a make-or-break game. I mean, they got to win this game against Tennessee. You can't be 0-3. I mean, this is basically the, the circle of wagons game. 
I mean, and, and whether Easton plays or whether Wentz plays, they got to play great. I, I worry about the Colts on defense. I've never been a huge fan of how the Colts play defense. I, I think that, you know, they rely on quickness. They rely on their athleticism, you know, and they have too many times where it goes up and down. Their third down percentage last year, I didn't think was good enough. And I think to me, sometimes you got to play with power. And I worry about the Colts playing with power. I think to me, Eberflus's style of defense is a little bit too generic, too basic. And I think when he goes against better coordinators, I think it shows up. They've got to win this game against Tennessee. I mean, this is their season. I mean, there's nothing, there's there's no sense in checking the bags at the curb. You got to go all the way through here. I mean, you can't go 0 3 and come back from that. And I think that Frank, I love Frank and I defend Frank, but I think Frank sometimes is too cavalier with his game management, especially in the red zone. He goes for it on fourth down and he's not getting rewarded. Like there's nothing wrong with taking points. Take them, accept them, bring them on. So I, 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 I think that they can bounce back. Look, I think the Giants are not a good team. You know, the Giants could have beaten Washington. This could have been Washington instead of the Giants in here. I think they're about the same. The Vikings, the Vikings let one get away. There's no doubt. I mean, Joseph misses that field goal. Now, he missed an extra point earlier in the game, but the guy's three for three on 50-yard field goals. They did a poor job at the end managing that game. A poor job. I think Mike Zimmer knows it. They should have run another play. They should have gotten more first downs. They let the clock go. They weren't really ready to win that game, and they played their asses off. I mean, I know they gave up 400 yards to Kyler Murray. He made some plays that most humans can't make. So the Falcons, to me, the Falcons will play the Giants, so one of these teams will win a game. The Falcons just look like they are not organized enough defensively And they look a little sloppy at times. And offensively, I don't think they found who they really are yet. They haven't found their rhythm yet. And Ryan doesn't look like he's great to me either. You know, he looks like his arm and his ability isn't quite back yet. Yeah, and the Falcons defense played terribly against the Eagles in week one. And then obviously in week two, the Buccaneers and Tom Brady took advantage. And again with the Vikings, listen, you lose the Bengals 27-24 week one. That was in overtime. Okay, fine. Tough loss on the road. The Cardinals, as you said, that's a one-point loss. You should have won that game. But, okay, you probably shouldn't be 0-2. You got the Seahawks now. Like you Again, you can't go 0-3. You got to beat the Seahawks. And then you got the Browns after that. So it's definitely going to be gut check time for the Vikings. No doubt. I mean, this is a make or break. And you're home. You got your home opener. I mean, the Colts are 0-2 and lose two home games. I mean, and I thought one of the reasons I thought they would make the playoffs is because I thought the Dome would help them. The Dome would help their run defense. But, you know, they lose to the, they lose to the, to the Rams. And it, it really, their offense hasn't been explosive enough. And, and a part of that is on Wentz. Wentz hasn't been explosive. He's made t- he makes too many dumb plays for a smart player. Yeah, I do like that synopsis of Wentz, especially early in the game. All right, game previews right now. All the lines, by the way, from DraftKings as of Wednesday evening, so subject to change a little bit. The Bears are at the Browns. Both teams are 1-1. One one. The Browns minus 7. And as it is right now, Justin Fields is slated to make his first NFL start. Uh, didn't show us a whole lot when he took over for Andy Dalton. And Matt Navy did say that once Andy Dalton's knee is healed, he will resume starting duties. But you and I said all along, well, at some point, obviously, it's going to be Fields' team, whether it's week five, week eight, whatever. It's come a little bit sooner than Bears fans would have expected. Week three. If he has a good game, which I don't think he will, Mike, he's facing the Browns. I think the Browns are going to beat him, beat him well. But if he has a good game, do you think he can convince his head coach he should be the head coach, excuse me, should be the starting quarterback moving forward, even if Dalton's healthy? I don't know how you can convince Matt Nagy. I mean, Matt Nagy, the more I watch him coach, the more I sit there and say, I mean, like, seriously, are you watching the same game I'm watching? 
Like, really. I think to me, when I watched Fields come in that game against Cincinnati, I thought it was one look and run. You know, one look and take off. I mean, Jalen Hurts, that's all Jalen Hurts has been doing, one look and run too. You know, and I think he wasn't, he made some really good throws. When when it went off on script, Fields looked really good. When it didn't go off on script, he kind of tried to get himself out of the pocket, and which is natural for a quarterback who's not comfortable with his reads. Look, he's going to play against the team this week that'll play a lot of zone. They're not complicated in what they do. He'll be able to tell zone from man. So he'll be able to have some easy throws within it. And I think his foot quickness and his ability to escape, they're going to need it because they're not going to have a hard time blocking Miles Garrett. I mean, Jason Peters is going to have a hard time blocking Miles Garrett. The right tackle is going to have a hard time blocking Michael Scarrett or Clowney or any of the guys on Cleveland's front. So, you know, they're going to have to be able to run the football effectively, which the, the Bears have actually done a good job of this year. But not only run the ball, they're going to have to be able to control that passing game. The Bears have made no explosive plays in the passing game all year. They just haven't. And Fields has got to make a few of them because they can't. I mean, they averaged under six yards per completion, yards per attempt. I mean, that's ridiculous. You can't win football games like that. You know, and and Nagy, you know, is what bitch about all the time on this pod. He loves completions. Well, completions are great, but you got to get yards too. And and he's got to give he's got to give Fields a chance to use his ability to get some easy throws like Baker like the other side's going to get Baker Baker Mayfield will have two throws in this game you'll say the guy the goddamn guy's wide open how the hell did that happen you know you got to get Fields some of that and I and I think that's going to be the case look I think this is perfect for Fields to play because he needs to play but he's going to need some help he's going to need some help when your longest pass play of the year is 21 yards you're not throwing the ball down the field Amen. And as far as Cleveland is concerned, throwing the ball down the field, Jarvis Landry landing on the IR. Odell Beckham Jr. is scheduled to make his return to the field after suffering a torn ACL last season. So, how do the brands manage Beckham? Is it just turn him loose, or is it going to be a matter of waiting and seeing if he's ready to be in game shape, how many looks he's actually going to get? Well, we'll see. I mean, he's got, I mean, he hasn't played in so damn long. I mean, you talk about the Giants having that faithful three-hour cruise. I mean, you know, Odell was the captain of that ship. I mean, he hasn't come back from it, too. Look, I, I think Odell looked good in the preseason. I think if he's healthy, you just get him out there. I, I do think the Browns like their receivers. I don't think they're like, oh, my God, we need Odell to have a good receiving core. They like Peoples-Jones a lot. You know, he's only had two catches this year. They love Higgins. He's only had two catches this year. They really like the Schwartz kid. But look, this offense is always about the tight ends and the inside slot receiver. Hooper is is their leading receiver on the team. And Joku is, is, is also one of the top receivers on the team. Bryant is one of the top receivers. So they want to control the middle of the field with their passing game. And if Beckham can make a few plays on the outside, that'd be awesome. Moving on, the Dolphins at the Raiders. By the way, Mike will give all of his picks Sunday on Twitter, if in case you're curious. Dolphins at the yeah, Raiders. No, I, I, you know, AD, I did something different. I, I did something, you know, because I'm not writing for The Athletic this year, and uh, my contract with The Athletic expired, and I'm working on this book, so it gives me more time to write the book. Everybody keeps asking me for my picks, so I went ahead and I got a Substack website called, it's called oddsonlombardi.com, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post, I'm going to post my picks in there, and I'm going to, and I'll write some things in there. You know, I'll write, if I want to write a column one week and I have some time away from the book, I'll do it in there. So it gives me a chance to have a platform to write because I don't know, but this writing world has really changed. The whole thing has kind of, uh, has become difficult. I mean, the athletic has let, has not renewed a lot of people's contract 
there because I think they're trying to sell their company as they are. You know, we know that Exios was thinking about buying them, the New York Times. It's just hard online. I mean, uh, you know, so Substack has been great to us at The Daily Coach. I, I urge everybody to sign up and read The Daily Coach. We're growing by leaps and bounds every single day. But so I'm going to do this oddsonlombardi.com on, on, uh, online and I'll post my picks there. All right, perfect. Well, uh, listen, that's a shame for The Athletic. They're losing a great talent in your writing. But like you said, I'm glad the Substack is offering you that outlet. So make sure you check out Mike's work there. And of course, The Daily Coach. And of course, you can listen to him on VEASAN. Dolphins at the Raiders. One and one Miami, two and all Raiders. Sunday at 405, Raiders minus four and a half. As you mentioned earlier, Tua out with fractured ribs. We've discussed him ad nauseum. How about a little bit on the Raiders, though, Mike? Can they go to 3 0 at home? You know, I, my sense of this is I think they should, but Miami's a little, Miami, that 35 to nothing game was a little misleading. Miami gave up a big run in the first quarter to go down seven to nothing. Then they start turning the ball over. And I don't think Miami didn't play good in any phase of the game at all. But Miami Miami knows their backs to the wall a little bit here. You know, they've got to. And I think Brissett gives them a better chance to move the football. Their offensive line, Miami's offensive line is problematic. Austin Jackson, Hunt, those tackles didn't play well last week against, against them. But more than anything, last week what hurt them was the scheme. I mean, the scheme really hurt them. I mean, they weren't able to protect. They were getting free runners to the quarterback. I think this is going to be a really hard game for the Raiders. I really do. I think this is going to be a, a game the Raiders are two and zero, and they're going to have to do a good job protecting Carr if he stay and he's got to stay healthy for them. But I mean, I'll give out the picks. But this is my these are when Miami. It's going to be Brissett's been dying for this opportunity. You know, I was told reliably that Brissett was unhappy in Miami because he felt like he wasn't getting a chance to compete for the job. Like he felt that like they just gave the job to Tua. Like he felt like he could beat two out. Now he has a better chance to see what he can do. See what transpires there for the Dolphins. Coming up next, matching with two of the hottest teams in the NFC. Could it be a possible NFC Championship preview? More game previews when we come back. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, huge match. Can't wait to watch this game on Fox. Bucks at the Rams. Potential NFC Championship preview. Antonio Brown and Kevin Minter, by the way, are both out. Jason Pierre-Paul is questionable for the Bucks. Both these teams off to hot starts. I like the Rams at home, Mike, but that line, plus one and a half. How do you see this shaking out? Well, this can be a, a good one. I mean, both defenses, I think, are vulnerable. Tampa did not play well last week against Atlanta. Atlanta started to get some momentum going in that game. They were able to move the football effectively on them. And, you know, I, I think it became a problem. And when you look at what it, what they've been able to do at Tampa, you know, Tampa's been able to play from in front. I mean, Tampa has scored 35 They've scored 42 points in the first half. They go into halftime up 42 to 26. That's pretty amazing. And what's happened is, is their defense in the fourth quarter, they've given up 23 points in the fourth. So everybody's bat mad at their defense when in reality, their defense has not played well in the fourth. And part of that is they haven't been able to get off the field on third down. They've allowed 47% conversions on third down. But the Rams want to run the ball, and I think it's hard to run the ball on Tampa. 
But the key is going to be, I think it's, this is Aaron Donald. They got to put pressure inside on Brady. That's going to be the key. I think it's a pick em game. You got to go with the home team. The weapons for, for Tampa is so amazing. They got to make Brady play faster. You got to be able to get inside. You can't let him just be able to stand back there and survey the field. We'll see what they could do. Yeah, even without Antonio Brown, there's still a plethora of options there for Brady. Chargers at the Chiefs. Both teams are one and one. Chiefs are minus six and a half. Joey Bosa, Derwin James, both those guys questionable for the Chargers. Problem right now for the Chargers. Listen, the Chiefs been a couple of close games the first two weeks, so they obviously need to pick things up. But the Chargers, they've only been so-so moving the ball. They've struggled to put points on the board. They've scored 36 points through two weeks. We love Herbert, but can this offense step it up against a Chiefs defense, which you and I have said before only plays one way. That's Spag's defense. Could they be vulnerable against Herbert? Yeah, they're going to be vulnerable against Herbert because Herbert, I mean, these receivers are great for the Chargers. They get open. Williams, you know, Keenan Allen. I mean, he th- th- they're open all the time. The problem is, the problem is, I don't know how good the Chargers have been on defense. I mean, the, the, the Cowboys moved the ball on them effectively. The Cowboys threw the ball. You know, the Cowboys averaged, you know, got the ball down the field. This was, this to me is going to be all about the red zone. If the Chargers are as bad as they've been in the red zone, because they've moved the ball at will on anybody. They've had the ball 33 minutes against every opponent. They averaged 33-30 with the football. They've got to be able to control the ball, but they can't go to the red zone. They can't settle for kicks. I mean, think about this, AD. They've played, they've played two games, and already they have attempted, they have attempted six field goals in two games. You know, that, that's, that's where you lose games. You got to be able to get the ball down in the red zone. You got to be able to score and you got to put teams away. I think that's going to be really the most important factor of this game. Uh, I, I don't trust the Chiefs on defense. I think it's going to be a hard game to play. Herbert will attack them. And if they play correctly, if they take away Tyreek Hill and they play the way Baltimore did, I think the Chargers have a good chance for an upset. All right, would be a big win at Arrowhead. Once again, Chiefs minus six and a half. Saints at the Patriots. Both teams are one and one. Saints looked incredible in week one. They stunned the Packers. They looked terrible in week two. So not sure what we're going to get there. And the Patriots, meanwhile, Mac Jones has looked good so far. Pats minus three. How are you feeling about New England at home against Sean Payton's Saints? I'm nervous. I'm nervous. They'll play way better on offense than they did last week. I mean, the Saints really are good against the run. They've only allowed 2.8 a carry. You know, the longest run against them in two games is 16 yards. They've played pretty good. They're, you're going to have to throw the ball in the Saints to beat them, you know. And and I think what's happened is, is the Saints, you know, because they've been so unsettled, they've given up 28 of their 45 points of ha- ha- excuse me, they've scored 28 of their 45 points in the second half. You know, so typically they'll get better as the game goes on and their defense gets better. I mean, they've only given up nine points in the second half. So this, to me, is going to be, I think it's a field goal game. I would lean towards taking the Saints in a field goal. I think it's going to come down to that. I think either the Saints are going to win it on a field goal or the Patriots win it on a field goal. Close game there. Close line right now. Packers and 49ers. Sunday night football. Niners minus three. They have five running backs injured in the past 10 days. That's unbelievable. Meantime, the Packers... Terrible week one loss against the Saints. Week two, they bounced back against the Lions on Monday Night Football, particularly in the second half, they played great. As Aaron Rodgers said, it was nice to shut those trolls up. Did the Niners improve to 3-0 at home? Well, you know, somebody texts me, Big Daddy, you know, he's all over the Packers. He's like, for this game, he said, "If what would the line be if Shanahan was coaching the Packers and LaFuck was coaching the 49ers? What do you think that line would be? <laughs> That's funny. Minus 10. Yeah. I, I mean, switch coaches. Like, who would you go with? I mean, look, the way that the, I watched the 49ers last week play against the Eagles, every third down, Shanahan was in the right play. 
Every third down, he was in. Now, they didn't complete them all, but every play was the right play against the coverage. It was like he knew it. He is, he's right on it. You know, and Garoppolo played well last week. He's won games for him. Look, I, I think this, look, I think LaFour's defense, I worry about LaFour and, and the defense. I think it's really an issue. You know, I worry that they're, can they protect at left tackle? Are they going to help with Bosa? I mean, the Eagles were chipping the Bosa and the, the, they were chipping the ends of the 49ers. Are the Packers going to do that? Are the Packers going to help Jenkins at left tackle? Or are they just going to go over there and ignore him? I mean, I, I don't know how that's going to play out. You know, I, and I think when you look at the, what like this week, I ran my numbers for the first time. And, you know, this one, based on the numbers, that you should take the Niners. Because the, this game shouldn't, the Niners' numbers after two games is way better than the Packers. Now, the Packers beat Detroit. But you and I both know that Detroit game was an ugly win. I mean, yeah. we, we didn't talk about it. But th- that was 35-17. It looks like a walk in the park. But they moved the ball up and down the field on them. And, and I'm worried about, you know, like I'm looking at this game and I'm saying to myself, are we sure that, that Shanahan, Shanahan versus Barry, Joe Barry? I mean, that's a mismatch. Kyle will move the football. And then DeMarco Ryan against LaFleur. Like every week I put together my, my, uh, my match, my coordinator's matchup. And, and, and I look at this and I'm like, okay, like, how do I see this going? You know, what's the matchups and what do we favor? Because I think this, there's not enough time spent on coordinator versus coordinator. Cause that's the essence of the game. And I think this one has a huge advantage for San Francisco. I, I think if if Shanahan was coaching Aaron Rodgers, this probably would be well. The line would be the Packers are what is what, what does DraftKings have it as AD? DraftKings has it right now minus three. It would be minus ten. No, no, it would be well. They have no. They have the 49ers minus three. It That's would right. be probably a pick'em game. Yeah. It would go the other way if Shanahan was coaching Rodgers. Right, right, exactly. That's that's what a difference a coach would be. It completely moved the line. It's amazing. Um, and I'm with you, by the way, on the Packers, because I went into that game going, oh, Packers win by two touchdowns. It was 17-14 at the half. Like, the Lions were leading that game. So everyone who was like, oh, Green Bay's figured things out, I'm like, uh, I don't think so. Like, <laughs> I still have a lot of questions there about Green Bay. Coming up next, uh, we'll talk about some other games here. Cards, Jaguars, Bengals, Steelers. I think the Steelers are in real trouble. Washington, the Bills. More game previews next. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Cardinals and Jaguars. Jaguars plus seven. They're 0-2. They're facing a Cardinals team that is 2-0. Urban Meyer's quote on coaching the NFL on the previous GM shuffle, you said he should just get out of town. Go ahead. Go back to college. Go to USC. It's a good job there for you. Well, here's what Meyer said about coaching the NFL. A lot of good players in the league, man. It's like Alabama every week. Is he already greasing the wheels for himself to get out of town? (laughs) It is Alabama. No. What what I think he misses, and I said this to somebody, I think what he doesn't understand is not only are you playing Alabama, you're playing Nick Saban every week. The coaching's good. Like there's some really good coaches. Like you're gonna you're playing chess against some of the best chess players. That's why you have to look at this coordinator board. 
Like, you know, you got, you know, tonight we got David Culley's offense versus Phil Snow. We got Joe Brady's offense versus Lovey Smith. I mean, it's, it's, it's all the things that, that become problematic. It isn't like you're going to get the quarterbacks, you know, you're going to get some bad coordinator or some, some young coordinator coming up. This is like experience shit. It's hard. It's hard. I, I said it last week, and I don't mean it any disrespect to, to, to Urban whatsoever. I mean, Nick Saban would be the first guy to tell you, I, I'm better in college than I am in pro. I think Urban would be better at college than he is in pro. It's okay. It's okay. It, it's like we, we posted a video the other day of this coach. It was a great, great, great video. Kirk Hines, this, the head coach at Coronado High School in, in San Diego, he, he posted a video and he said, some young man just came in and quit. And I couldn't be happier. And, and the video starts out and you're thinking, boy, he's insensitive, right? But then he explains that the kid quit because he was doing it for somebody else. He was doing it because his f- family was a football family and he didn't really like football. You know, and Urban, what are you trying to prove that you're the greatest coach of all or you're just a great college? Like you can be the greatest college. It's okay. Like once Nick Saban got past that and went to Alabama, he dominated. Like I, I think Urban is better for the college game. I could see it as team. They're just they're not buttoned up. It's it's really hard in the NFL. There's too many. It's difficult. It's a challenging endeavor. You don't, you're not running everything, even though you think you are at Jacksonville. So when I say this advice to him, I don't mean it as in a sarcastic way or saying he's not qualified. It's just not meant for it. You know, it's just not meant. Like I'm a shitty personnel guy. When I'm working for somebody, when I work for Belichick, I'm pretty good. I can do it. When I work for somebody else who doesn't see the game the way I see it, I'm not very good. You got to know who you are. Got to know who you are. And Kyler Murray, by the way, has the second shortest MVP odds at plus 650. He started the year at plus 2,500. So maybe there's a, a bet there, Mike. Lay a few dollars down on Kyler Murray if the Cardinals can keep this thing rolling. Yeah, I mean, look, this will be a challenge for the Cardinals because they're going to go down the heat and humidity. But I don't know how Jacksonville covers them. And they got to play better on defense. I mean, they've got to get more out of J.J. Watt on defense, the Cardinals. They've got to be able to cover better. And they should be able to pressure Trevor Lawrence. Like, I don't know how they're going to block Chandler Jones, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know how they're going to block him in this game. You know, and the line seven, I think that line's going to tick up a little bit. But look, they'll put pressure. Vance Joseph will put pressure on the rookie quarterback and make it hard for him. And I, and I think the Arizona's offense, the way he runs around, you know, early in the season, he's been dynamic. I mean, he averages, I think he's averaged 11 yards per attempt. Can you imagine that? Let me let me get that. I, I think that's exactly what he is. He's at 11 yards per attempt. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how he makes plays. He extends the plays. Now, I don't think it's going to last. No, excuse me. He's 10.1 yards per attempt. That's still amazing. It is amazing when you can put those kinds of numbers. We'll see what happens with Cardinals and Jaguars, how much longer Urban's going to be there. You know who I'm concerned about right now? The Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know if Ben Roethlisberger makes it another the year, Mike. I really don't. He had 10 hits last week. The O-line is revamped. Their O-line stinks. Like, I, I went from thinking the Steelers could contend for the division to now I'm like, they're in trouble. I mean, they're at one and one facing a Bengals team at one and one. I know the history. I know they always beat Cincinnati. But I'm telling you right now, mixed reviews for Joe Burrow. Uh, if the Bengals beat them, Steelers at one and two, I don't know how Ben stays healthy. I really don't. He looks bad. I mean, I watched the tape. He doesn't look good at all. He can't escape. Like, I think he still has enough arm, but he can't move. Like, he's a statue. And it's hard for him. And this offensive line is problematic. And if they don't have TJ Watt, are they going to be able to? Now, look, I, I, I think if you're going to put faith in Zach Taylor, 
that I'm going to have to recommend. I'm going to call your wife tonight, and I'm going to tell her we're going to have to have an intervention. We're going to do the we're going to do the Christie intervention. <laughs> we'll get Paulie in there. We'll sit around because there's no way I can allow you to go on the Zach Taylor's bandwagon. There's just no way. Yeah. I mean, that's a poorly coached offensive football team as I've seen. I mean, I don't know what he's trying to accomplish. I don't know what he's doing. I, I can't. It's just not good. So, but Pittsburgh's a wounded duck. Pittsburgh's. We said it all year. Pittsburgh's in a rebuilding mode. They fired out and they were able to beat Buffalo, but they need all their players. Devin Bush is back this week. That'll help. They need Joe Hayden back. They need all their guys back and they've got to be able to make some plays. But I'm going to say this to you. Cincinnati could be a playoff team if they had the right guy leading them. They could be. They've got enough players over there. They just have no idea how to play complimentary football or how to build a game plan to highlight what they're doing. They're an empty all the time. I mean, like it's like Zach Taylor wants to be in his basement in Des Moines. Like, you're not playing Madden, Zach. Like, help the kid. Gets Joe Mixon's going to waste his career there. It's a shame. It really is. It, it really is. It is a shame. We'll see if the Bengals can pull off an upset. T.I. Joe Hayden, by the way, you mentioned they got to get him back. He's questionable right now for the Steelers. Washington football team at the Bills. So Heineke played well last week, replacing Fitzpatrick. The Bills at minus seven and a half. I think the story here is Josh Allen's been underwhelming so far. They lost week one, week two, they won. It was because of the ground game. He was barely 50% completion. Any concerns here on Allen, Mike? Yeah, I am concerned. He hasn't thrown the ball with great accuracy at all. You know, it's been a real problem. When he doesn't make plays in the passing game like he did, now they they won some games, but he's missed some deep throws. I think this is a heavy line. Like if Washington's a good team, aren't they going to keep this in under under a touchdown? Don't you think they have to? I think this line's ridiculous. I think it's way extended more. It's really disrespectful to Washington. We'll see what happens if Washington come up with a win. But the Bills, as we mentioned, underwhelming so far from Josh Allen. Couple more to go. We'll get to the mailbag. Ravens at the Lions. Between IR and the active roster, Baltimore has 24 people listed on their injury report. This feels to me, Mike, big emotional win on Sunday night. There could be a letdown here. I know it's the Lions and they're 0-2, but maybe Detroit can pounce. Lamar Jackson said he was sore after flipping into the end zone. I mean, that's something you don't want to see your quarterback doing, but I don't know. I, I don't know if they can keep things up against Detroit. We'll see. I, I don't think they can. I mean, if you're in Survivor, I think I would take Baltimore in Survivor here. I, I mean, Baltimore needs this game. They can't. They they stub their toe out in out in Las Vegas. They can't stub it. Detroit's so slow on defense. They can't match the speed of the game. There's just no way. Seahawks at the Vikings. Seattle is one and one. The Vikings are zero and two. As you mentioned before, Minnesota can't afford to go to zero and three. Two close losses. I think they beat Seattle at home. Although the Seahawks, they did blow that big fourth quarter lead in week two. So I'm sure Pete Carroll has his team's attention now. No doubt. And I think ultimately what they have to do is they must. They must you know, control the football and they'll move the ball in Seattle. They just got to do a good job of containing Russell in the pocket. But I think Minnesota, I think Minnesota and Indianapolis are both though in two teams with the points you're getting in those games are good plays. I had them both making the playoffs. So I hope you're right. As always, send us your mailbag questions to the GM shuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM shuffle. Jonathan coming to us from Beverly Hills. I think we already know the answer here, but I'll go quick. Not a Bengals fan, but someone who loves watching Joe Burrow. Can someone from Burrow's camp or Bengals ownership step in and say either provide protection or we're taking him off the field? His best interests are the same as the team's. I don't want to see a David Carr or Sam Bradford situation play out. Wow, I haven't thought of Sam Bradford in a while. Also, does any head coach have a flimsier resume than Zach Taylor? He was an assistant wide receivers coach 13 months before becoming a head coach. Unbelievable. I mean, he just looks like he doesn't know what's going on over there. I mean, I feel bad for him. Like, it's a hard job being an NFL head coach. 
you know, and Katie Byrne Black, Katie Black, uh, Katie Brown Blackburn, and her husband uh, Troy Blackburn. They they wanted them. They picked them. I, I mean, it just shows you that this just because you work for somebody doesn't mean you're going to have his plan. I have no idea what they're doing defensively. I think they're well. They're they're better on defense, but they they have too much talent to be this bad. Their offensive line is still bad. The quarterback's going to get killed, and he does as much to get the quarterback killed as anybody with his schemes and with his insistence on we're going to get five out. You know, we're not playing Madden here. Not playing Madden. Good luck telling that to Zach Taylor. Uh, as always, thank you for checking out the GM Shuffle. Again, Mike, plug where you can get your picks now on Substack. Yes, oddsonlombardi.com. Make sure you check that out and get your picks in. We will talk to you on Monday on the GM Shuffle. Uh, have yourself a nice mortadelle sandwich. We'll talk to you next time.